Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast. My guest today is uh, Ron Hortman and uh, Kayla Esman. They were both with me at the uh, Looney Bin in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, both did a great job. Kayla hosted and Ron featured and uh, had a good time with them this week. So we're sitting down and doing a little bit of a podcast. We just finished the uh, second show here in Tulsa, and uh, the first show I thought was a lot better than the second one. Uh, the second one, what'd you guys think? What'd you think? Uh, you know what? I, I agree with you. Uh, they were, they, they were good. Both shows were good, but the, uh, the, uh, late night show, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They were kind of drunk and stupid. Yeah. 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 yeah that's it. <laughs> late night drunk and stupid. Which I the, think is a, is a good point because, uh, I was going to say, I think the first crowd was better. Yeah, uh, but I think I had a better set the second crowd because they were my people, drunk and stupid. Yeah. That's my people. D- that makes sense. <laughs> How uh, dare you? But you thought you got a better response the second show? I don't think I necessarily got a better response. I think it's I was looser. I think I was. Uh, so you had a buzz. Probably because she was drunk. Part of that. I, well, I was. I was responding a little better to what the crowd was giving. Me. Yeah, I mean, because I watched. I watched both sets, and uh, I'm surprised. To, I mean, I thought you did fine both shows, but I thought well, I thought the first show was uh, much better for um, for all of us. Did you you enjoy the first show more? It, at first, I didn't like the first show. You didn't. <laughs> and then after the second show, I loved the first oh, show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They weren't they weren't bad, but to me it seemed like that like they were slow with everything. Like the yeah. ri- the rhythm was off on okay. the first show. That's how it felt to me. Okay. Like I would tell a joke, they would laugh, but then they would laugh so late, then I'm like, What's wrong with these people? Yeah. They you yeah. know I, I call the I think I said something to you guys in the beginning of the week about this. Uh, a guy named Bert, Brian Burgess told me that some rooms are called quarter beat rooms. You gotta uh-huh. you gotta pause another quarter beat before they will start laughing. Mm. And I've done these rooms enough that I know now that it's a quarter beat room. You gotta wait just a step longer than you normally would. Um, but it, you you just never know. And sometimes the first or second show will be like all tight and shit, and then I just realize, oh, you're not pausing enough. Yeah. Um, but tonight, that first show to me. They were pretty close to everything they needed to be as far as, like, they were on top of everything. They weren't real sensitive. They were good enough that I was kind of leery of the second show. I was like, ain't no way. Because lately, it's been so uh, inconsistent. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Comedy crowds have been so inconsistent. I've had some of the best shows of my life, followed by some of the worst in the same goddamn night. And that's part of comedy, but... Man, it's been more so lately than it ever has been, whether it's the political climate of the country or whatever the fuck is going on. So I was a little leery about the second show just because the first one was so good. And the second one turned out fine, but they didn't get all the little subtle shit that the first crowd did. And I knew almost immediately that they weren't going to be as good. I feel like for me, part of it is because I'm so new I think sometimes the more difficult the audience is if I can handle them I almost come out of it like if they're a worse audience I come out of it feeling better about myself because I'm just proud of myself that I didn't 
flounder with a shitty audience. So yeah. maybe part of it is like I just like them better because they gave me more of a challenge. So uh, I got to feel better about myself afterwards. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's how you know you're getting your timing down too. Like mm-hmm. I can do a hot, great show and do 48, 50 minutes. Or I can have a show that in my mind feels like I just ate it the entire time and I can still do around the exact same time because my timing is the way... I'll still do it the exact same way. Like, hey, if you're not smart enough to get this, that's on you motherfuckers. I'm still going to do it. (laughs) I'm still going to do it the way I do it. And you can come along or you can sit there and stare at me, but you're the one who paid to get in, you dumbasses. (laughs) You know? And I'll say that kind of shit to them. And sometimes crowds need to hear that. Like, I'll say, you guys can stare at me, but I'll I'll stare at you for the next 40 fucking minutes. See how you like that. And then it almost kind of shocks them like, oh, that's right, they need us. Yeah. They yeah. crowds don't get fully sometimes that the better they are, the better we are. You know, I you know? think it's a confidence thing. I think part of why tonight I may have preferred the second audience is because I've hit this point where I'm really proud of myself that I can start to feel out when an audience needs to be yelled at. Yeah. And I yelled at that second audience. I was like, y'all need to get on board. Y'all need to figure out what you're doing here. I didn't walk into your church. You came into my comedy club. Right. And uh, this confidence of being able to yell at a shitty audience is making me feel like I'm starting to get to a point where I need to be. Right. Um, so I think it's, it, it's the worse the audience is and the better I handle it, the better I come out of the show feeling. Right. Well, hosting is definitely the toughest job. And, Absolutely. Uh, um, I thought you guys both did a good job. And, Thank you so much. Um, but Ron, I can I, I know you're good because I saw you and you're funny. But I also know you're good because you had some great shows, and you would come off stage, or I'd be like, you, you know, I'd be like, they were pretty good or whatever, and you'd be like, I hated them. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and that's how I know you're good, and that you'll continue to get better because. A lot of people be like, man, that was great. I killed. And I'm in my head, I'm like, no, you didn't, motherfucker. <laughs> you didn't kill. You know, you, you, you did your job, but you didn't kill. There's I know a guy that thinks yeah. he kills all the time. All the worst. And he's got a wow. hearing problem. And I'm like, man, that's a, that's a blessing that you can't hear, motherfucker. Because <laughs> oh. you think you killed all the time. Delusion um, is a plague. In but if you're industry. good at comedy, you're hard on yourself. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, um, because there's a lot of egos in this business that are like, man, I killed. And I'm like, your version of killing is not the same as mine. Because yeah. <laughs> I would just kill myself. As the host, um, I very much, because I've been hosting so much, I've kind of disconnected myself with what the audience response is and more of what my response is to them. And uh, figuring that out has very much helped me a lot because I used to... I used to have a real problem with connecting my self-esteem to how the audience reacted to me as a host, and I can't do that, because sometimes it's my job to go up there and just eat a fat dick. So I have to, I've, I've taught myself to judge how I did off of how I responded to what they were giving what me. What clubs are you working that your job is to eat a fat dick? <laughs> She's making it sound like this show was horrible. Like, uh, it Not really wasn't week. bad. You uh, know, it hasn't been this <laughs> But sometimes, like, I do feel like sometimes as the host, your job is to go up there and warn the other comics that this crowd does, is is very well, tight. Well, some, sometimes. Or maybe you, I just suck. I don't know. Maybe I just eat fat dicks well, and I shouldn't be. <laughs> you sound like you enjoy that. I just, it's, 
It's uh, what what I think is that when you, no matter what the situation is, you're supposed to learn something from it. Yes. Yeah. So yes. like, I did. I used to do this room in Atlantic City, uh, the Comedy Stop. You ever did that room? No. It it was a casino, but it was a theater, mm. and it was the weirdest room for me to grasp. So. Everybody did thirty minutes, so it wasn't it wasn't like it was a host or whatever. They built us three headliners and somebody went first and then the other two people well the first person did twenty five, everybody else did thirty. So the first night I got there, they said, I got some good news and bad news. I'm like, All right, what's the good news? The good news you only gotta do twenty five. The bad news is you're going first. And I'm like, Okay, how bad could it be? Right. So I went out there and I did my set. And it was horrible for about 20 minutes out of the 25. Yeah. yeah. And and you got you're there for a week. And so I was like uh, and I know they'll send people home like, "Ah, it's not going to work for you." So I I was all in my head and then that next night I was like, "Ryan, this is what Okay, so you're going out there. There is no host. So you're the host." Yeah. So instead of going right into my set, I hey how y'all doing? What's going on? Whatever, and I talked to them, welcomed them. Then I went into my set, and it was perfect. Nice. So I had to learn how to deal with it, and I think that's, and you have to you learn that in every position. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't think hosting, at least in a very long time, I don't think hosting. I've had a set where I don't get laughs. I guess my well my on Wednesday night on Wednesday night when, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I think my standard for eating a fat dick um, is is probably how many times you plan on saying eat a fat dick during <laughs> as much as I can. Is that the new name of your podcast? <laughs> eat a fat dick. Um, eat a dick podcast. It's I mean it's it's my favorite way of saying bombed, but like I, I feel like I've never done a hosting set where I don't get any laughs. But it's, uh, I've had hosting sets that are better than others, and sometimes I do feel that it's my job to go up there, because I try to be the canary in the coal mine, where it's, I try to do a variety of stuff in my set, where it's, I do something religious, I do something political, I do something clean, I do something dirty, so that if there's something that that particular audience really does not like, the other comics are going to know. Um, yeah. And sometimes I find that out during my set. That's big of you. I, I learned. No, seriously. I mean, sacrificial you know, lamb. Yeah, I, I I learned that I can't. I haven't hosted in a long time, but I couldn't cheerlead and I couldn't do birthdays or any of that bullshit. I would just go up and and all I would say is, "You guys ready to have a good time? Make some noise for yourselves." They'd clap real loud, and then I would go right into what I do every time, the way I always do it, and that's what worked for me. Nice. Um, and that got the. That got them ready to hear the feature act because all I did was jokes, and they're yeah. like, "Oh, this is what we do." And that's part of the reason I don't like people doing crowd work in front of me is because it it puts it in the audience's mind that that's what we do. We talk to the comic, and then oh, and then if you're following somebody that does nothing but crowd work, and then you got to go up and do forty five to an hour, and you want to do your material, and you want to do crowd work as you want to do it. You don't want to be putting out fires right off the bat because the guy before you did nothing but crowd work. It yeah. puts them right. in this mindset 
that I don't fucking want them in. Yeah. And, you know, that's the only thing I'm not a big fan of, of following is excessive crowd work. I don't, yeah. I'm not saying you can't go in the audience at all. Well, it but, makes them chatty. But your they job as the, as the, especially the feature is to build a bridge. This guy named Jason Dixon told me this a long time ago. Your job is to build a bridge to the headliner. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, if I can't follow your material, that's on me. Yeah. But if you go up there and do everything you're not supposed to do, if you're filthy and you talk to the crowd and you go <laughs> over your time and you do everything you're not supposed to do just to try to fuck me up because you want to make it hard on me to follow so you can get moved up to headliner, that is not your fucking job. Yeah. It's a show. And our right. job is to go from here to here to here, not just throw a big grenade in it because you're doing 20 minutes and you want to do you want to just make the owner think that you're the best or whatever. That ain't how this shit works. I mean, you I know? feel like... And I've, that's why I appreciate... Sorry to interrupt you, but this is why I appreciate uh, somebody like you to follow who is really funny and clean, which is not something that I tell people they have to do. But right. if you are funny and you are clean, it's ideal to follow. And like I said, if I couldn't follow your material, that's on me. But if you were to go up and do all the shit you're not supposed to and I couldn't follow it because of that... And then someone goes, ah, oh, you're better than the headliner. I'm like, because he fucked everything up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He yep. threw a grenade in the fucking show. <laughs> yep. It ain't because I can't follow it. You know, it's because it's bullshit. He took them in a direction they shouldn't have gone as the feature. You know what I mean? I mean, there's nothing that bothers me more than a comic thinking they're more important than the experience that the audience paid for. Because at the end of the day, we are there to provide a product that the audience paid for. And if you go up there and you think you are more important than every single paying audience member there, yeah. you know, we're each there to serve a purpose. We're there to provide something for them that they paid for, that they wanted, that they came out and, and took time out of their day to pay money to come see what we had to say. And if you think that it serves you to go up there and fuck up the show for your own selfish purpose, nothing pisses me off more. Right. Nothing makes me angrier. And a lot of it's where you uh, started out in comedy. You know, yeah. like I was very fortunate to start out at a club that had uh, veterans around who had been doing it, and they kind of showed us the way and said, this is what you do in the MC spot. I also recommend a book called Zen and the Art of Stand-Up Comedy to anybody starting out because it lays it all out for you. This is what you do in the host spot. This is what you do in the feature spot. This is what you do in the headliner spot. You said Zen and the Art of Comedy? Art of Stand-Up Comedy by okay. Jay Sankey. I read that book before Check I even out. started comedy, and it gave me so many. Um, but a lot of people grow up in, or start out in environments where there ain't nobody telling them, right. hey, man, don't do it. Don't do this. Don't. You know, move the mic stand and don't hold the mic cord. Brian Burgess told me when I was starting out, I would hold the mic cord like a lasso. And oh. he, go, he goes, Gaither, don't hold the mic cord. Singers hold the mic cord. <laughs> Comics don't hold the mic cord. And just the way he said it, I was like, I never did it again. And you yeah. need people like that to fucking yeah. show you. Yeah. Uh, where did you start, Ron? I started in uh, Tampa. Uh, size footage comedy club. Is where I really got my my chops. Which is but, ran was ran by a comedian, right? Yep. Uh, Bobby Jewell. Bobby Jewell and B T. Okay, B T. Brian Thomas is his name. Okay. Uh, and because I'm real good friends with B T. The and, comedian. And do you know? Uh, do you know B T. The comedian? I, I know who he is, but he don't know me. Okay. Okay. You know who? You heard of Mark Craycraft? Uh, I've heard that name. Was he starting out there too? He 
he was in charge of the open mic program at the time. Okay. And he he helped us with like technical stuff, like you said, move the mic stand, hold the mic right here, you know, put it right here. You yeah. Right. Little, little things like that, and uh, like never ever ever go over your time. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not your show. Uh, if if you if you emceeing, your job is to do the announcements. And introduce the feature. If you're featuring, uh, you're doing your time, you warming them up for the headliner. If you're headlining, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to take it to the next level and hold the crowd and you got to deal with the check drop. I mean, just little things like yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I've always been the guy that that uh, I come do my job and I, you know, I shut up. I get out the way. That's so. what a lot of people don't realize about headlining is... That's what makes it hard. You have to deal. Sometimes you have to deal with a really good. You have to follow a really good feature. You have to deal with the checks coming out. You have to deal with people being drunk. Yep. You have to yeah. deal with uh, you know that ebb and flow of it. You know the check drop is a motherfucker. When you're oh yeah. Uh, this week it wasn't at all, but some clubs you can be killing and those checks come out and you'll lose them for seven minutes. And some clubs it's like clockwork. I'm like, oh that's yep. right. This club sucks when the checks come out. Yeah. And you just deal with it, but. That's some part of why. Can't do math. Yeah, that, that's do part math. of why uh, you're really good is because you you started out in that kind of environment, and a lot of people these days don't have that, and that's why they suck at like hosting a show, or especially out in L.A. Don't nobody teach these motherfuckers nothing, oh, and yeah. starting out there. It should almost be a law that you have to start somewhere else for one <laughs> or two years before you go out there. I mean. Yeah. People in L.A. think that they're so good because of their area code. I'm like, you don't get no stage time, motherfucker. This ain't where you get good. You get good going on the road and doing doing 30 minutes, six shows, yep. four times a month. You do 24 sets that are 30 minutes long, and you can't help but get good. And if you don't, then you should quit doing it. Yep. You know, But that's where you get good. It ain't doing seven minutes in fucking no. L.A. three times a week. That don't mean shit. It's crazy to me the people that think that just being from L.A. or just being from New York counts as a fucking credit. That's annoying. Like, that's part of the reason that I don't get brought up as being from L.A. is because I don't feel like that's a credit. I don't feel like that's something... Like, I moved out to L.A. to be able to write material faster, but I go out on the road so I can work on that material... Being living in LA means nothing to me. It's just a space. It's just a place that I'm at, so I can do more open mics. Right. But being from LA is not a fucking credit. And the people who want to get introduced as being from LA because they think it means something drive me absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I don't see how that would ever be. Well, you know this this game is ran off ego. Oh God. So that little bit of of acknowledgement from somebody makes them feel that much better about themselves. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so, Craig, Mark Craycraft, is that, that was the guy's name? Yeah. He he helped you quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and yeah. how long till you started going on the road? Uh, wow. Before I started going on the road, I'm going to say... Probably around three years, maybe. Okay. Yeah. And because I was clean, I got to work with a bunch of different people. And, you know, people would throw me a bone here or there. But one of my biggest, biggest uh, 
biggest moments was I, I, I worked with uh Henry Cho and Angela Johnson. And both of them started working me. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started to go go to different places and like, oh my god, my jokes work here. And you know, yeah. it was uh it's always and it's they got two different two totally different crowds. And it's always weird to see where I can fit in at, like my my type of comedy. Uh, like she has a younger, uh, a lot of women, and certain jokes work better with her crowd than with his crowd. It's a older crowd. Uh, I'll say a seasoned crowd, and they don't. I have to adjust a certain way, like with with his shows. Like I won't even say, I won't even say piss, because somebody said that I cursed once. Cause yeah. I, I said piss, and I was like, <laughs> we had a debate. I'm like, piss is not a curse word. Yeah. Yes, it is. I'm like, no, it's not, because I could say it in front of my mama. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's a pretty good measuring stick. Yeah, if you're cool well, saying it in front of your mom, then yeah. it's not a cuss word. So yeah, I agree with that. And, oh, well, I've never cussed in my life, y'all. Uh, really. Oh, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'm a clean comic, not because I think that it's wrong to curse on stage. I started because uh, I try to stand out because I I look like the I, I didn't want everybody to think I was a uh, when they see me they think I'm a certain way, and I yeah. I wanted to stand out, and also I didn't want to be embarrassed if my mother came in to the show right. and it's she would yeah. And so it stuck with me. Now, every every once in a while, I think about like you know what I'm a cuss tonight. Well, I just can't do it. Yeah, just... if it's not, you, 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 I, I tell myself, you know, I tell myself a few things when I'm pacing around outside, and one of them is, uh, you know, do what you do the way you do it, and fuck these motherfuckers. Yeah, I say that to myself that all the time. Do what you do the way you do it, and um, I like that. And I've got all these, you know, little things that make me. Feel better. There's a uh, uh, this lady. When I was going through my anxiety phase, I was telling this lady my severe anxiety phase. I was on a plane and I told this lady, uh, I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. Like right now, I'm in the plane and I'm nervous as shit about this gig tonight. And I've been doing this for a living for 16 years. And I just really had a heart to heart conversation with this lady, and she told me about this uh, part in the Bible. I wish I knew the the, the verse. It's Joshua something. And it is, uh, uh, I will be strong and courageous. I will not be terrified and I will not be discouraged because the Lord thy God is with me wherever I go. And I tell myself that all the time before I go on stage. It's amazing. And that's how I feel. I'm not religious, but I feel like God is inside of all of us. And that makes me feel better. That prayer made me feel better. And I just, I hugged that lady at baggage claim and I was like, I will never forget that. And that's been like three years ago. And I tell myself that, do what you do the way you do it. Sometimes I have to get myself fired up or, you know, yeah. or sometimes yeah. just, just fuck these motherfuckers. They couldn't do what you do to save their life, yeah. <laughs> you know, and they can't. So you've got to remember that because it's, it's scary sometimes. It's scary. They really can't. And the crazy thing is so many of them come in there thinking that they can. Because we make if, it look easy. If you, thank if you. We, if you're good at stand-up, yeah. you make it look easy so everybody thinks they can do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. get up there and, and then lights hit you in the face and you have that microphone you never had and all that shit. 
Yeah. And and then they realize, oh, this is hard. Yeah, motherfucker. Just like that guy tonight, second show coming up. And oh, bless his heart. During during the show, I had I had one T-shirt left, and I told the crowd, I have one T-shirt left. Um, so if you want it, come get it. And what I meant was after the show. And a couple minutes later, I look over and there's a dude propped up against the stage, like. <laughs> Like on stage with his like sitting against the wall, and I go, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> and it turned out to be really funny, but it was very annoying because I realized like I had done like a minute or two of jokes that weren't landing like they should have. And I look over, and it's because they're all staring at this dumbass sitting against the wall. <laughs> and I'm like, "What are you doing right now?" And he's like, "Oh, want to buy a shirt?" I'm like. This ain't when you buy the shirt during my show. What, am I going to give you change and shit? Or maybe swipe your credit card? You fucking idiot. You know, because he thought, what, just sell me the shirt and go back into your thing. I'm like, I'm not a jukebox, motherfucker. This ain't how that works. It was one of those things. But he thought, oh, this guy's really good. He looks like it's easy, so I'll just go up and buy the shirt and it'll be cool. And he's like, it's my birthday. I'm like, I don't give a shit about your birthday. Fuck your birthday. Oh, it was that Fuck part of it. It was birth- fun, but... But that's a perfect example yep. of someone thinking, oh, it's easy. You know? Yeah. It looks like it's easy. Well, I mean, Ugh. that was one of those moments that as somebody who, as maybe one of the only people in that whole room who knows actually how hard it is, sitting in the back watching you deal with that was so impressive. Yeah. Because that same show, I had somebody during my set, I delivered a punchline that I, you know, do that I've been working on recently where it's the punchline is uh eat a fat dick (laughs) (laughs) that's every punchline how dare you spoiler alert um no it's the like uh I serve five bags of off-brand cereal at a party and some dude in the back was like I would do that and it I was like well let's because what I'm working on right now is just responding to the crowd where they're at so I went off in the this whole other thing of like, okay, this was a good opportunity to try this new weed material that I haven't done in a loony bin yet. Let's try it. It went okay. But watching after that, watching you deal with that dude wandering up, it was so, uh, it it was such a good example of just like time in and you seemed so comfortable, but knowing you, I knew you were annoyed. Yeah. I knew you weren't happy with that dude, but I knew the crowd couldn't tell you have such you have such an ease on stage. You have such this. Uh, you have such a, a an ease in your delivery, and you didn't vary that. Yeah. In dealing with him, it was so within your normal set. It was so impressive as somebody who knows that it's not easy, uh, who's not an idiot. Yeah. Who's not some okay <laughs> idiot. Uh, it was so impressive uh, dealing with the same crowd in the same night. Um, I was I was basically just back there taking mental notes the whole time you were doing that because yeah that must have been maddening but it never showed on your face it never touched your toe that it was maddening and you were shitting on that dude the whole time and he was laughing <laughs> he was laughing on you just taking a shit on this dude for being stupid yeah that's one of my but, favorite things well but that's one of the things you know, like you've been doing this so long and you made it look easy like you you to be able to take a shit on somebody in the audience who's doing something stupid and make them laugh at it. My biggest pet peeve is when someone messes up a punchline that is guaranteed to get a laugh. Oh. Like, like I have a couple jokes that 
if they don't laugh at certain jokes, I know that it is absolutely not me, and they are just a terrible crowd. And when yeah. someone messes up a punchline, it almost makes me feel violent towards them. <laughs> I mean, they, I just, I, honestly, and I'll make it sound like I'm kidding, but I ain't kidding. I fucking hate you right now. I mean, yeah. I genuinely hate them. It's the litmus yeah. test. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when somebody will, will, will ugh, just interrupt something, or, or right before your punchline, or there'll be some... I'll do that joke about uh, uh, stereotypes. I'll go, oh, say that about black dudes, and then I'll go, Mexicans can have, uh, and there, almost every crowd, someone will go, chicklets. And I'm, I just want to go, no, not chicklets. It's not funny. I would never think of something that stupid. <laughs> you know, they just go, oh, Mexican, chicklets. Every fucking time. And I'm Jesus. like, and I just ignore them. I love when someone thinks something's funny, and they're looking at me, like, and they'll say it again. I'm like, I heard you the first time. I'm just ignoring you. Oh, there's nothing that <laughs> makes me happier. Because I've learned, I've, I've hosted enough that I've learned that if I acknowledge, most of the time, there, there are exceptions to the rule, but most of the time if I acknowledge somebody who's saying stuff during my set, it makes them think they can talk for the rest of it. So I just ignore them, and they feel stupid, and they shut up. Yeah. But every now and then, if there's someone fucking talking during my set, and I acknowledge them, they don't shut up. Yeah. I have to ignore these fucks because they think they're funny. They and the them. worst thing you can do is acknowledge them. Yeah. Well, it's like somebody told me about, or I realized about hecklers because when I first started out, I would get nervous when someone would heckle or talk because I thought the whole crowd's looking at me and I got to say something hilarious. Uh, you don't. You just got to take your time. And people who holler shit out during shows are generally not smart people. Oh, and once you realize that, you're like, oh, it's not a heckler. It's like a, it's like I'm, you know. Once you realize that, and once I tell, I tell people that all the time. I'm like, people that heckle and holler shit out aren't smart. So just give them a minute, and they'll hang themselves. Yeah. You know, a lot of times I'll go, "What'd you say?" And I know what they said, but just saying, "What did you?" Making them repeat it gives me that extra 30 seconds I need to come up with whatever I need to come up with. Ooh, that's smart. You know, that's but I'll just make smart. them repeat it. And a lot of times they just won't repeat it at all because they realize, oh my God, I'm kind of, yeah. you know, they'll get all nervous <laughs> about it. But, you know, just give it, I just need that extra 10, 15 seconds, you know. Um, so, anyway, um, I was going to ask you something. Uh, Ron, you talk, you, you still get nervous sometimes? Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's a little different now. It's, not like, like debilitating, right? Well, it, it depends, man. Like some days, on my way to a gig, mm -hmm. I'm mentally trying to talk myself out of it. Like, uh, just don't go. Just they're not going. <laughs> Tell them something came up or uh, it's an emergency, and like in my mind, I'm I'm doing that. But once once I get there, uh, I'm all right. And when you look at the crowd before I go up, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I, I say uh, I say a quick prayer to myself. And I used to have a set list that I would use. Like I write it, write everything down. But now I try to say, well, I want to start with this, and I want to end with this, mm -hmm. and try to try to let everything else flow for me. Okay. I mean, if it's something I'm working on, I you know I got to make myself. I gotta throw this in there somewhere, but other than that, I try to flow to see what jokes feel right yeah. at that at that time. But when I 
once I, and I'm terrified. Like, uh, I'm not going to say terrified. Like, uh, no anxious. Sure. Anxious to go. But once I get the first laugh, then yeah. I'm like. Yeah, me too. You settle in like, ah, okay. It's like, it's like, right. it's like in wrestling when, when, you know, I wrestled my whole life and when, when I got that first takedown, I, I wasn't as nervous anymore. Yeah. Or as soon as I put on my leg band, it's almost like uh, it's almost like grabbing the microphone. And I, something else I say before I go on stage: um, when the host says my name, and before my foot hits the step, and I do it every show, before my foot hits that that first step to get on stage, when they say, "Please welcome Tim Gaither," I say out loud, not loud, but just I don't whisper it. I go, "That's right, you bitches." <laughs> <laughs> Tim is angry, <laughs> and it puts me. It, it gives me. It gives me what I need, as far as that that little bit of confidence. That little bit, because sometimes I'll be nervous as shit. And as soon as they say, "Please welcome Tim Gaither," that's right, you bitches. <laughs> and everyone's clapping, so they don't hear it. That's but amazing. I say it out loud. And if you saw me, if you if you were to film me close enough, you'd see my mouth say it every fucking time. I right. love that. So Okay, wait. So, so now, now they're going to hear because... it, and you're going to get a whole bunch of uh, emails. <laughs> because I know the way that I have introduced you this week, because I've, uh, generally I, I say, it's Tim Gaither, Tim Gaither, everybody. Do you say it after the first or the second time I say it? It doesn't matter, it, it's long, as long as it's, you know. Well, fuck me, goddamn. No, I'm just saying it doesn't. I don't think. I don't know. I can't answer no, no, the question. I don't, I don't know. I think I just say it as soon as. No, know. that's amazing, though. I love that. But it I it, love it that. turns some kind of switch on in, in yeah. the, most of ninety nine percent of the time. Every now and again, um, you know. I just and, wanted to make it about me. <laughs> um, Tim is an angry man. I mean, well, I'm not. I, I, I may come. I, I think I'm intense sometimes, and people mistake that for being angry. But no, I like that. I feel like being intense about what you do, especially. I, I always feel weird about calling us artists because what we do is, at the end of the day, kind of silly. But we are artists, and I feel like there's nothing wrong with being intense and specific. About what you do and about sure. your artistry and, and about the, the way you the details of it. All it's yeah. all in the detail. Absolutely. And you know, like I, I think it's admirable that you that you want to close uh, open a certain way and close a certain way, and then whatever happens in the middle is fine. Yeah. Um, that's hard for me though when I'm cl- when I'm doing a shorter set. It's it's fine for me to do that, but when I close, I like my set to be like one long story. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of people these days are like, ah, segues aren't important. I'm like, they are to me. Oh. I love segues, and I love it for it to all flow together and be like one 45, 50-minute story. Right. Yeah. Everything's supposed to flow together, and and sometimes if I get out of my rhythm of that story in a headline set, it, that's the only time it gets kind of hard for me and you, you know it, it does pay to get away from it and like that's why when I go up to the comedy store or something that's a 15 minute set and I'll do what you are talking about um, but when I'm doing my headline set I find it very hard for me to get away from and maybe that's what I need to get to the next level is to not do it that way but it also gives me the confidence I need to just you know do yeah, it well, I mean, I do it. what we do what we're doing is so new uh, the art of stand-up comedy is so new. It's it's very much an Americanized uh, form, of, form of artistry. Musical theater and stand-up comedy 
are the only forms of art that Americans invented. Yeah. Um, and it's such a new form of art that, like, there is no set way to do it. We're literally pioneers. We're pioneers in a new art form. So whatever we do is correct. So if you say that this is how I do it, that's fucking how it's done. And that's so cool, is we're getting to literally invent how an art form that, hopefully, for the next thousand years is going to be done. And it's so cool. I love that. I love getting to talk to people um, that have been doing it for longer than me. Like, this is how you do it. Um, yeah, and they know that... I'm going to keep, I'm gonna keep when, wandering when, off because I'm when you're, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're When you're good at it, I, I feel like... Most good comics are hard on themselves, and mm. we've all come across comics who, who are like, I don't get nervous, and I don't do this, and I don't, oh. I never even think about this, and whatever. And I'm like, well, you probably suck. <laughs> you I know? don't understand why people who don't get nervous when they do this would do it, because the reason I do it is because it scares me. Well, I told my friend Alan Havy, who's, uh, you know, he's in his sixties now, and he's just a beast on stage. And I told him when I was going through my severe anxiety phase, I was like, "Has this ever happened to you?" And he was like, "Yeah, my early forties, just like you." And I got over it. But he goes, "It's it's normal to be nervous because what we're doing up there is fucking strange. Like hardly any, you know, if really? you're good, like you said, if you're good at it, you make it look easy. But it ain't easy. It took a long time. That's why, like, I feel like Louis C.K. almost." fucked things up for young comics because he was so good, he is so good, at standing up there and just talking about... It looks like he's talking about his day. And he is sometimes, but they don't realize that he had to do it for 20, 25 years before he was comfortable enough to do it that way. And now all these fuckheads, New York and L.A. mainly, will come up... I shouldn't say New York because I don't have much experience with them, but... A lot of L.A. comics will come up and they're like, I'm just going to talk about my day. And I'm like, and and it's terrible. And I'm like, you are not Louis C.K. You haven't earned the right. You don't have the confidence. You don't have the material to fall back on. You're just up there talking about your stupid day and don't nobody want to hear that shit. Well, that and Louis C.K., it seems like he's talking about his day, but he's not. You go back, he's been working on that set for a while. He's been picking specific words and it's something that I've been working on recently is, like, figuring out what specific words. I've, I've been getting very specific about um, the words that I say, the order that I say them in. And I will do sentences almost the exact same, but I'll switch two words. Because I've watched people like Louis C.K., because I've watched people like Maria Bamford, Patton Oswalt, uh, Kathleen Madigan is one of my favorites. And I've watched sets of theirs where you watch it progress and they're switching just like words and sentences to see what hits the best. Yeah, you continuously, you know, um, you know you, you've had bits, I'm sure you've done bits that you've, for years and then you realize like, oh, if I change these two words or if yeah. I take out two words, like if you can, in that book, Zen and the Artist Stand-Up Comedy, they talk about, he talks about if you can say something in nine words instead of 13, do that every freaking time because at yeah. the end of your set... You have cut out so many words that don't need to be there. One, one sentence that stuck out in that book that I've always remembered is, if it doesn't add, it detracts. Yeah. It takes away from what you're trying to do if you try to explain too much or, you know, even if you have something, like like I didn't wear that logo. I, I, bought, I got a uh, Hall of Fame 
wrestling jacket this week, and I really like it, but it said Hall of Fame Wrestling on it. And when you got a crowd that's not super smart, or if they're in the front row and they're trying to read your your if they're trying to read your jacket, it can seriously take away from the joke because they're they're trying to read what your fucking shirt says. Like I was trying to read yeah. your shirt the whole time, and like, well, then you weren't listening to the jokes properly. See now, for me, it's all all that little shit. It all matters, and if it doesn't add to what you're doing, it yeah. takes away from it. Period. I will say uh, yeah. for our listeners at home. Tim did come ask me. He's like, "Hey, is this distracting?" And I will, I will stand behind this. I do believe that that logo, because I've, uh, I have a minor in costume design from my very fancy musical theater degree. That is a nod shit for me. Uh, but people expect a logo in that spot, so they just blank it out. They they don't even pay attention to it. Yeah, that's I know. Something it. I that's know interesting it. about people is like when we expect to see something or hear something. When we expect something in a specific place, we blank it out. Yeah, yeah. We don't even realize it's there. Uh, I wanted to ask you this, Ron, because you're uh, you're 45, but you've been doing comedy 11 years. So you started when you're 34. Um, what made you decide at 34 to give it a shot? Not that I think that's old to start out in comedy, because I don't. But it's a little older than. Than most people. Like, I started at 23 and, you know, um, started doing it for a living at 25. Um, But what made you decide at 34? I I moved away, and I always thought I was funny. And it was something that I wanted to try. And when we moved away to uh, Tampa, and I said, nobody know me, so I'm going to try it. And I tried it, and it... It worked. Yeah. And I was I was hooked. And the more the more I did it, the more addictive it became. Yeah. And it was always funny to me. It seems like my wife and like I would win contests and it would just, you know, it would be like bringer shows and it would just be me and my wife and I would get the whole audience with both it'd be it was it was crazy. Yeah. And it seemed like Every time I would take a uh, step forward in comedy, it was a strain on my relationship. Because really? I'm going to all these open mics. And ah, that's all you do. You just, you just got... And I'm like, ah, I told you I'm going to do it. And I almost think that she just wanted me to do it. Yeah, I just go ahead. Let's do it. Let's try it. So I shut up and try it. And she didn't think it was going to work out. She didn't realize you were going to be good at this <laughs> yeah, shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what I think happened. Yeah. Damn. And so... It's, it's it's like man, it's a it's a love hate thing. I love it, but sure, yeah, I know, I, I know. I I hate it because it it consumes everything about like you think yeah. of it constantly, especially uh, the first few years. Yeah, yeah. it because there's always a, a you know a guest spot. You're like you'll you'll have a week where you're like, oh, I don't, I'm not, I don't have to do anything this week. We can hang out, sugar, and then all of a sudden. Hey, you want to come to a guest spot? And when you're starting out, especially if you care and you want to get good, fuck, you don't turn down anything. Yep. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, I used to drive four hours to do five minutes at, a, at, at an open mic in St. Louis at the Funny Bone. Just because, four hours each way because I knew it was important to get good yeah. everywhere. Not just in your home club because whoop-de-doo for you if you're funny in your home club. Uh, and that's yeah. great. But when you go on the road is when you start learning what's funny everywhere. Yeah. So these people who shit on the road 
L.A. comics mainly that I know of that you shit on the road, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, and you piss me off, just so you know. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it's like... It's my biggest pet, one of my biggest pet peeves. It, it drives me insane, because, like, I'm out in L.A. very recently, and I'll talk to people, and it's like, they're paying 30 bucks to get half the stage time I'm getting paid to have yeah. with an actual audience. Right. It's like, there's no way you're getting the work done that I'm doing. Yeah. I've heard, there's, I'm not going to say his name because I actually like the guy, but I heard him say one night that anything besides New York and L.A. was just flyover zone. Oh, shut the fuck up. I was like, like, what a a shithead thing for you to say. 95% Um, of the country doesn't matter? Fuck you. That's basically what he said. He goes, ah, they're just flyover zone. And I'm like, you make me want to vomit with that statement. (laughs) <laughs> there are some smart people all over this country and there's some dumbasses all over yeah. this country New York and LA and everywhere in between see and that's what pisses me off because like we're so much and you say this in your set we're so much more alike than we are different and it frustrates me when I listen to comics talk about oh these people don't matter and it's like they do or when, I, when you hear a they comic do. go they're not my crowd I'm like well do they speak English <laughs> Then they're your crowd. Yeah. You know, it's up to you to find what, you know, what makes them laugh or whatever, but, you know, um, we've already done 45 minutes. I'm starving. Oh. Have we? Yeah. Oh, um, and this has been a great podcast. I appreciate you guys, and we don't have to end it right this second, but I uh, I wanted to touch on a couple things before he, we He quit. just gave us the light. <laughs> I did. I did. I gave us like a five, ten minute light. I'll do another 30 minutes then. <laughs> Um, I, I've got to eat something. I got to get up fairly early in the morning, but uh, and I know Ron does. Um, yep. But I wanted to ask you real quick, Kayla, and yes. and uh, so I want I want I want the information, but as quickly as you can tell us. Okay, is the JFK? <laughs> um, I yeah. Oh. This is completely off topic of what we were talking about. <laughs> um, but I would love to hear. Uh, her grandpa was a sheriff, is that right? In yeah, da- in he was Dallas. a sheriff's deputy. Sheriff's deputy in Dallas. And you guys know I love... I don't even like calling them conspiracy theories. I just have questions about certain things. Facts. And, yeah. Um, I promise I'm not going to talk about 9-11 in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get started. But this is how we got started the other night, because I was talking about it, and she said her grandpa yeah. was on the grassy knoll... And was a sheriff's deputy, and I would like to hear. I would All like right. to hear about your grandpa. So I knew this was something that would interest him, and I'm super into um, you know true crime and stuff like that. Um, and I, I called multiple aunts and my mother. Uh, today to make sure that I had all the facts right because right. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't you know bullshitting. So my uh, my papa, my papa who was a hardworking salt of the earth kind of man till the day he died. He worked up until two months before he died, kind of man. Uh, yes. Can, can you hold your thought for one second, yeah. Ron? Do you need to go to bed or anything? I mean, I'll try to wait for the story. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm, okay. I'm, you want to hear this shit? Too. I want to hear it. All quick. right. I was just making sure. I'll be quick. I was just making sure. Okay. All right. So I. Okay, so, um, 
So I made sure that I had the story all straight because there's not a whole lot to it. So my 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 papa is in the Zapruder film. Okay. The Zapruder film, for those of you who don't know, is the film of JFK getting shot. My papa was a, a Dallas sheriff's deputy. Okay. Um, he has so many sh- he has so many stories about them being racist. The reason he left the Dallas sheriff's deputy um, service is because they're racist. He left with his um, with his police dog because he he raised this police dog and then somebody else took it over and then he got it back and he found out that this dog was just attacking black people for no reason and that's what made him leave. They had a racist dog. He they made his dog racist. Oh lord, this is ridiculous. And he was so mad that he quit his job and went and became a uh, he became a grave digger and a mortician. He had a reputation during the Vietnam War of he was the guy that could put mothers uh, sons back together so they could look at them one more time. Like that so he was, left the department because he felt like they were racist. He but. felt like they were racist and that they were um, very uh, very corrupt. So he was there, and I looked it up. Um, so he was there for Jack Ruby's, some of Jack Ruby's last words. Jack Ruby, for those of you who don't know, was the guy... They all who, know. Ain't nobody listening to this who's that stupid. You look up Tower 7, <laughs> motherfuckers! Um, all right, so Jack Ruby was the guy who shot Pat, uh, Patton Oswald, Jesus, who shot Oswald, who was the guy who shot JFK. So he is in the background of the Zapruder film. He's one of the um, motorcade cops. He's one okay. of the guys on the motorcycles. All right. Um, so he didn't have a whole lot to do with that. Uh, he apparently wasn't paying super good attention. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on, so he doesn't know exactly what happened with that. But he was there for what he said were uh, Jack Ruby's last words. And he swore to his dying day, a man that was salt to the earth, uh, wouldn't make shit up, never, right. never told a lie in his life. He swore till his dying day that Jack Ruby's last words in Parkland Hospital, the same hospital that Oswald and JFK were pronounced dead in, he swore that his last words were, this is so much larger than anyone will ever know. And uh, I looked up some stuff about Jack Ruby. There are people who say that there's no way he was involved in a big conspiracy. And there are people that say that there's no way he wasn't invo- involved in a big conspiracy. All I know, all I know, is my grandfather, a man who was never known to be a liar... Right, no reason to lie. He never wanted attention. That was not his thing. But he told all of his daughters that Jack Ruby, on his deathbed, said this is larger than anyone will ever know. And to this day, the fuck if we know how large it is. Right, right. But that's all there was to it? I mean, your your grandpa just said... Uh, That's most of it. He he says that he... Now, now all of this is secondhand, but he also said that he heard multiple shots. But he was also the kind of guy that he said, I heard multiple shots when I was in the motorcade, but maybe it was echoing. Now, I think he's the kind of guy that would maybe... Uh, that he probably did hear multiple shots, and he just wasn't comfortable saying... 
yes, I heard multiple shots. You know, he had to he had to clarify it in a way that was like, oh, maybe it was this or that. But he said he heard multiple shots. He was right there. Right. He's not a dramatic person. <laughs> but Jack Ruby died in prison, so why? No, would he, he he died in Parkland Hospital. Why? Why would he die there? Because he had lung cancer. Yeah, but they got prisons and they got hospital prisons. He he died. Um, he died in Parkland Hospital. And if your grandpa had left the police department, why was he around? He with had Jack not Doobie? left. He had not left the police department yet. Okay. He right. was still at the police department. He stayed for another year after Jack Ruby died. It was another like. There are more things, but Jack Ruby died at Parkland Hospital. But when, though? What year did Jack Ruby die? It it was, I, think, been... I do believe it was, and I may be a little bit off here, but I'm fairly certain it was a year and a half, right about. So one of the After the was, assassination, that's all he lived? Yeah, because, okay, okay one of the things about Jack Ruby uh, that I didn't realize until I started looking up some stuff to make sure that I had all the stories straight, because I called a bunch of family members... Um, and I looked up some stuff to make sure that I knew what I was talking about. Okay. Um, but Jack Ruby apparently told somebody that he had been, because uh, he got lung cancer. That's what killed him. Okay. He was put into Parkland Hospital, which is where Oswald and JFK were pronounced dead. Yeah. Um, which is a place my mother worked. But, um, so he was, he was put in there three weeks before he died. He died in Parkland Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he apparently told somebody that he believed he had been, um, he had gotten a shot that had cancer cells in it. But he died of lung cancer. I believe, uh, I, I, I believe that they, that the government can do all kinds of shit. Oh, dude, same. And they will go to any length to hide Oh, dude, same. What are you so, say, Ron? So did he ever convert this dog to stop attacking <laughs> black people? Yeah, what did, I he, did he know. retrain the My dog? My grandfather? Yes, he did. Well, good. Yes, okay. he did. My uh, his dog uh, did not continue attacking black people. It okay. did, however, continue barking at black people. But you know, okay, I'll, ex- I'll accept a mark. Compromise. Yeah, I'll compromise. accept that. I'll accept that. <laughs> it wasn't the Do dog's start, fault. Well, we start somewhere, you know, change. You know? But he also said, um, and this is unrelated to the JFK assassination. But my papa also said that he would watch. Uh, part of the reason he left is that he watched the um, Dallas Sheriff's deputies move aside to let people shoot black people. Um, I believe it. But I mean, it, it's one of those things that's like it's horrifying, but it's not shocking that '60s Dallas was yeah racist as fuck. Yeah, yeah. That that was the era, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But until the day he died, that man swore that the JFK assassination was something huge and insane that we would never understand. Right. I gotta tell you, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> you thought it was more, more spooky than that? Gonna, I thought you were gonna tell me that your grandpa saw some shit that nobody else saw, and he didn't say nothing until his death, too. He was on his deathbed because he was afraid and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, I wish she did. I but wish all he said did. was Jack Ruby said it went way deeper than. I'm, I'm glad she didn't because I'm <laughs> on this podcast with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't need oh, no I'm cancer sorry. stuff. I'm so that, sorry I didn't none, get a shot. No, you, you, it, it's, it's a great story. It really is. Um, it really is cool. And and I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I am going to stop talking about 9/11 because uh, there ain't no money in it. Um, <laughs> there's not. 
The only thing that would happen, you know, I got a little baby boy at home who I cannot wait to see tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, let's say I get famous and start talking about 9-11 all the time. <laughs> at the worst, they'll ruin my career. And at the, at the, at the, or at the best, they'll ruin my career. Yeah. And at the worst, I'll end up with cancer or my brakes or fail or some shit. Because I 100% believe that if somebody talks too much and gets too much traction on that shit, that they will make sure you go the fuck away. Bill Hicks was the, one of the best comedians Ever. Ever. And he died at 32 of pancreatic cancer. And he used to talk about some shit that I promise you the government didn't want him talking about. Because they're like, this motherfucker knows things that the general public has never thought about. But, and he died at 32. And I'm not saying the government gave him cancer, but I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. You Tim, don't, I so you, look forward for getting murdered uh, I still look forward to getting murdered for just having talked to you. I I do uh, not. I don't believe any 9/11 conspiracies <laughs> anymore because I want to raise my baby boy. You hear yeah, me, I, you fucks? I, I was just passing through the loony bin. Yeah. I didn't, all of us I are. Didn't, I didn't know I was going to be on a conspiracy theory yeah. uh, podcast. Apple so, pie uh, and fucking <laughs> baseball, and that's all we get. I believe everything the government says. Everything. Absolutely. I want to raise my baby boy. You guys have been great. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you, Ron? Uh, man, if, if if you go to uh, ronhortman.com, R-A-H-N-H-O-R-T-M-A-N.com, that's my website. I got all my dates on there. If you're on social media, hashtag Granddaddy Fresh, you'll find me. Uh, I need some more friends. I, social media is really not my game. I'm trying to step it up, so please. Please, social media with me. Yeah, very funny, clean comic. Uh, if you ever need a, a funny, clean comedian, this is your dude. Um, Appreciate it. Where can people find you, Kayla? If you go to www.kylaesmond.com, kaylaesmond.com, you can find uh, videos of me, my acting um resume and you can find links to all of my social media just go to my website kaylaesmond.com and you'll find all my stuff awesome um as always go to makingithappen.com m-a-c-a-n ithappen.com help out little Bo Macon and his family with all their medical expenses and my website is timgathercomedy.com you can find all my social media links and all that shit and uh yeah this was a good podcast I appreciate you guys doing it and uh Pleasure working with you this weekend, man. It really was. Hopefully, and more to come. You such a you, you have such a way with an audience that like I wish I could bottle it and just fucking internalize it. Well, I've been doing it twenty years, eighteen for as my only source of income, and you know uh, I appreciate that very much because um, sometimes it's it's a very frustrating business, especially yeah. these days. Yeah. And when you know you're good at it, and sometimes I'll come off stage. And I've done 50 minutes and just destroyed from start to finish. And I just want to go, God dang, couldn't somebody have seen that? <laughs> you know, yep. like yep. like what I just did has to have some kind of value in it. Um, and I'm not saying I kill all the time, but I know that I'm, you know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm bragging on myself. but Here, I, no. I, I know I'm good at it, and it bothers the shit out of me that this business has gotten so far away from... People who are funny that yeah. they, they want to, like you were telling me about people at Flappers that'll, see, that'll pay to see somebody who isn't even that good because they know them somehow from some other bullshit. 
but you'll try to give away tickets to really good, really good comics, comics who have earned their everything they've gotten in this business because they're good at stand up and it's got we've gotten so far away from that and god I hope it comes back around because yeah. you know anyway hey if you're in the LA Burbank area shoot me a message I'll get you free tickets to some really phenomenal comedians who are about to be your favorites yeah well, unfortunately, you know, they, they, they shouldn't be free. It shouldn't be free. They should shouldn't be. be. They won't be soon. Anyway, that's an entire different podcast. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it talking to you guys and working with you. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Ron Hortman and uh, Kay Lastman and Tim Gaither uh, signing off. God bless all of you. Take care. Bye.